Hi friends, I'm Pastor Wally and I'm part of the leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. Welcome to our current teaching series called, Say What? Did Jesus Really Say That? Now before we get into what Jesus said, can I just say that with all the isolation, the closed borders, and now with the darker and colder days coming on, I'd love to do some traveling. I can just picture booking an itinerary to somewhere warmer, maybe you're with me on this, thinking about all the things that I'd need to pack up and then jumping on a plane or heading off in the vehicle and just heading out with family, going somewhere and taking in a new scene. Well, interestingly, in the passage that we're about to look in, Jesus sends his disciples traveling, so to speak, but he sends them with a rather curious list of what they should take along. So as we look into that passage, I invite you, to, if you have a Bible, to grab your Bible, or if you have a Bible app, open it up. And as you do that, I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. God, you know all the things that we've been going through. You know the, the things that we bring to this time together. And Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to each one of us in ways that we can grab hold of in ways that we can say, yes, I've been in the presence of the living God. And so as we look at your living word, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into truth this morning. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. And in verse 36, Jesus sends his disciples traveling, so to speak. And he says, but now... Take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. What a strange thing to send the disciples out with. That one sentence, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one, is such a seemingly strange line tucked away in an otherwise incredibly significant chapter in Jesus' life. So many other significant things are happening in the chapter, in this 22nd chapter of the book of Luke. And this one line, to go buy a sword, to go traveling, could be pushed aside because it just seems odd. It seems out of character, maybe even too challenging to bother looking into. And as a result, this line stands out as a rather troublesome text for scholars, for those of us who are readers, trying to answer the question, say what? Did Jesus really just say that? And once again, we're confronted with something that Jesus says that seems to contradict his other primary teachings. So let's pull back a little bit. The setting for Luke chapter 22 is an evening in the last week of Jesus' earthly life. They've been in the upper room. They've celebrated the Passover meal, the, the communion, the last supper with his disciples. And in that time, Jesus models humble servant leadership as he washes their feet. And then he tells them about his coming suffering on the cross. And he warns the disciples that one of them before that is going to betray him because it's going to get difficult to follow him. And the brash disciple Peter steps up and says, Lord, I won't betray you. I'd never betray you. And Jesus corrects Peter and says, actually, Peter, you're not going to betray me once. You're actually going to betray me three times. And then Jesus cautions the disciples about the hardship that's coming their way. He tells them that things are about to change. And then he asks them in verse 35, looking in chapter 22 in your Bibles, 
He says, when I sent you out to preach the good news before and you didn't have any money or a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. The prophecy saying he was counted among the rebels. Yes, Jesus said, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. The disciples replied by saying, look, Lord, we have two swords among us. That's enough, Jesus said. What are we to make of this peculiar exchange in the book of Luke? Some take this text to argue for gun rights, for violent resistance, or the legitimacy of uh, lethal force in self-defense. They interpret Jesus' words to the disciples as a call for his disciples to arm themselves and to be ready to use weapons against those who threaten to harm them as they go out. Most scholars, on the other hand, reject that interpretation, cautioning it as being extremely difficult to reconcile with Jesus' consistent primary teachings on non-retaliation, loving your enemies, willing self-sacrifice, servant leadership, just as he displayed in the upper room during the communion meal by washing their feet. In order to know what Jesus is saying, let's start by discussing what Jesus is not saying. And to do so, we're going to, again, take into consideration the larger context of that evening. We're going to zoom out a bit. So having just finished the Passover meal, the communion meal, we read in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon, who later gets called Peter, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat, Jesus says, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak, your coat, and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, Jesus said, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we've got two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Jesus walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. He said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him and he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that the sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last Jesus stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Now, could this be signaling an event that's about to happen in which one of his disciples does give in to temptation? Verse 47. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, 
Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard and the elders who'd come for him. He said, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you would come with swords and a club to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So that's the the big picture of Luke chapter 22 that we find our little one sentence nestled in. Luke's the only gospel writer to include that sentence about buying a sword. But the other gospel writers do include this evening in the life of Jesus and his disciples. In their accounts of what takes place that evening, All four gospel writers record that one of Jesus' followers draws a sword and yields to the temptation to meet violence with violence. It's in John's gospel in chapter 19, verse 10, that we we read that the culprit is actually Peter, who slices off the ear of the high priest slave Malchus. Apparently, Peter interpreted Jesus' enigmatic statement on acquiring a sword as an endorsement of violent resistance. But Jesus quickly and sternly rebukes us as contrary to how he wants his followers to act. Luke 22, verse 51, he says, no more of this. And in Matthew 26 and in John 18, they record Jesus as saying, put away your sword. Matthew also records Jesus as saying, those who use the sword will die by the sword. So this scene is key to understanding what Jesus was not saying when he told his disciples to buy a sword. In the garden scene, for anyone who thinks that Jesus was suggesting that violent resistance is appropriate, here he is correcting that misunderstanding of his statement. Jesus did not intend his instruction in Luke 22.36 to be taken literal, literally. He was not encouraging violence, friends. Nor is it legitimate to surmise in that scene that by rebuking uh, Peter, Jesus was somehow saying something tactical, such as, Peter, we're outnumbered at the moment. Now's not the right time to draw your sword. We'll use it later. No, Jesus is clear. The act of violence is not right, nor is the timing for violence ever right. Well, that's what Jesus was not saying. And so if Jesus was not advocating for violent resistance, the use of a sword, then what exactly was he saying when he told his disciples to buy a sword? Friends, again, we see Jesus using dialogue as a tool, speech as a way of leading us into a deeper meaning. As we see repeatedly in this teaching series, Jesus articulates hard or important principles and truths by means of provocative speech. He wants to grab our attention and focus us on a radical call to follow him. We've seen this in other places. Some of Jesus' words. If you want to follow me, hate your father and mother. Luke chapter 14. Really? He wants us to hate people? Or is that a statement of what our love for others should look like in comparison of our love for Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. 
Really? Does Jesus really want us to do that? Or is he asking us to take extreme measures in the eyes of the world to avoid sin? In Luke 18, Jesus tells a wealthy ruler, go ahead and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and in doing so, you'll gain treasure in heaven. Is that an indicator of some uh, backdoor way into heaven? Or is Jesus exposing an issue of the heart that keeps us from following him as Lord in every area of our life? Friends, all of these are examples of where we do not take Jesus' words literally, but rather we need to rightly interpret what God has recorded for us in the Bible. So how do we understand Jesus' instruction to take our money, acquire a suitcase, and buy a sword when we go out? Well, let's start with the three items themselves. All three of these items signal a movement into the unknown. By following me, Jesus says, you don't always know where you're going to end up and how much money you'll need along the way, so take all your money. When you follow Jesus, you don't always know where you're going or for how long or where you'll be able to stay, so pack a suitcase. When you follow Jesus, you can't predict who you're going to face or what you're going to face, but it's not always going to be all good. So take a sword. Jesus' call to acquire these items in Luke twenty-two thirty-six 36 is a call to readiness, a call to resourcefulness, and to vigilance, caution. He's warning his disciples in a riveting way that things are about to change for anyone who follows him. You see, before that night, Jesus and his disciples were generally welcomed, so they didn't need to pack, or at the very least, they could travel lightly. As they went out and they did miracles in various towns around, uh, around where they were traveling, people welcomed them because they were doing these miracles in the name of Jesus. They took them into their homes and they took care of them. They fed them. They provided them with a place to stay. But now something's about to happen that is going to drastically change the landscape of the disciples' lives and they'll need to be ready to persevere like they've never had to before. So what's going to happen? Luke 22, verse 37, reveals our clue as to why the disciples need to think and prepare like they should be buying a sword. Verse 37, For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true, Jesus says. The prophecy that Jesus is referring to is found in Isaiah 53, Verse 12. So let's take a closer look at that verse in that passage. So verse 12 itself in Isaiah 53 says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. So let's read the larger context. And as we do, I want you to have the image, the picture of the crucifixion of Jesus in your mind reading the the larger context of Isaiah's prophecy, starting in verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, he said, or speaking of the Messiah, he said, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly they condemned him. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. 
He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Verse 10, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. The event that this prophecy is referring to is the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus was counted as a criminal, as a rebel alongside other criminals. In fact, he interceded for two other rebels as he hung on the cross, and they hung on their crosses beside him. The death and the resurrection of Jesus marks the most significant shift or pivot in the history of humanity. And Isaiah is signaling that life for all humanity would be radically changed when this prophecy was fulfilled. So when we fast forward to that night in Luke chapter 22, as Jesus calls his disciples to take their money, to pack a suitcase, and to buy a sword, it's because, as verse 37 says, it was time for Isaiah's prophecy to be fulfilled. And Jesus was signaling to his disciples that his cruel death on a cross, a criminal's death, was about to happen. It was impending. And after that event took place, life for the disciples was radically going to change. Now, the disciples, they don't understand this in Luke chapter 22. We have the benefit of knowing the full story. But for them, they were living in the moment. And so in verse 38, they respond in the moment. Look, Lord, we've got two swords. And Jesus replies, that's enough. The disciples are caught in the literal. And Jesus responds with a a seemingly literal yet wrong answer. Think about it. How could two swords be enough to defend themselves against a group of enemies, let alone a Roman legion or the Jewish authorities? And later in verse 52, Jesus says he's not leading some rebellion, so why would he need swords? And if he was leading something like that, surely he would have wanted his disciples to have more than two swords, and maybe he would have sent them out after they'd left that upper room and had the Last Supper to go find some other rebels for hire with more swords to help bolster what they were about to try to do. Well, quite frankly, friends, I think this is one of those beautiful instances where we're caught off guard by Jesus' humanity. And every... After everything he's taught his disciples, after all that they've been through, the disciples in that moment still don't fully understand Jesus or his teachings. And I think this is Jesus putting an end to that scene with an eye roll, giving it a a, a head shake in disbelief, even using a satirical tone as he says, yeah, great guys, two swords, that's all we should need to change the world. Friends, the disciples don't get it, and Jesus knows that. He also knows that in the future, one day, they'll look back on this scene in the garden, on that night, 
and things will begin to fall into place for them in terms of how their theology will inform their practice as Jesus followers. In other words, you see, discipleship is an ongoing, lifelong process. The disciples that night in the upper room and later on in the Garden of Gethsemane were still very much in process. In fact, they're at the very beginning of their journey toward Christ-likeness. When it comes to post-crucifixion and resurrection, post-Great Commission, filling of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the book of Acts, we see radically changed disciples operating in a radically different landscape. In the book of Acts, the mantle of leadership of the gospel falls to them. The gospel message begins to advance beyond Judea to the farthest parts of the earth. As the gospel advances, the disciples gain a fuller grasp of who Jesus is and his intent for all humanity, both Jew and Gentile. The disciples understand their own calling, which from the beginning was to follow Jesus, give up their lives, love him preeminently, and take up their crosses. And as the disciples do that later on, what do we read in their writings? In the book of Acts alone, chapters 4, 5, 8, 9, 12, we read that they're faced with nothing but physical resistance. They're faced with violence and swords wielded against them. We read one of the greatest persecutors and murderers, Saul, who later becomes Paul. We read about him being transformed into a Jesus follower and laying down his cruel methods of persuasion for the Jesus method of unconditional love and sacrifice. You see, if anyone could have advanced the gospel via coercion and violence, Saul might have been equipped best to do so. But after his encounter with Jesus and his transformation, he's radically changed. After Jesus was counted among the rebels on the cross, discipleship took on a very new meaning. Following Jesus meant that you too were a rebel who was going to be reduced within that Roman Empire to incredible distress, to persecution, even death on a cross. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, even now we go hungry and thirsty. Hear Jesus' words there. Bring your money. And we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. Jesus' words. Pack a suitcase. We're often beaten and we have no home. Jesus' words. Buy a sword. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living, Paul says. We bless those who curse us. Oh, Jesus' words, he taught us to use a different type of sword. We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we're treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment, Paul says. You see, unlike their early days with Jesus, people are no longer welcoming them, to say the least. In fact, because of Jesus, the people are rejecting them. You see, Jesus stood in opposition to the powers and the principalities of the world. And that's exactly where his followers found themselves in the first century. And where followers throughout the centuries, including today, find ourselves. By believing and following a crucified and risen Savior all of Jesus' disciples stand in opposition to anything that opposes his reign. So yes, we will. In fact, we should find ourselves in opposition with our culture on many issues. 
and we'll find ourselves persecuted as others find us seemingly intolerant or shun us or mock us, casting us aside as radicals or rebels or relevant no longer. Biblical truth will always fly in the face of human constructs, power, and control. And the temptation is to take up a sword of some sort and fight fire with fire, to use human power like Peter tried to do that night. But Jesus calls us to prepare ourselves so that we can follow his lead of truth and unconditional love when we encounter that resistance, that opposition, that persecution. Following his example of unconditional love, even to the point of loving our enemies, even to the point of being willing to suffer and die for that calling if we need to. In John's parallel account of that evening in the life of the disciples, we read these words. In John 15, he records Jesus saying, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. And then later in John 16, Jesus asks, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, Jesus says, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Friends, take heart in Jesus, not in a sword. Yes, we will face many trials and sorrows in this world, but we follow and we put our confidence in him who has overcome the world through unconditional love.